I love mankind, says one famous cartoon strip character. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> Sometimes people can rob us of joy. Paul was experiencing that. He had challenges at the church in Rome, people he knew. And he had challenges with people in Philippi, and this was the latter church that was the one that concerned him the most. He'd received a gift from them brought by Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus brought good news, showing that the Christians in Philippi still had a great concern for Paul. But he also brought bad news. And that was that there were fights and factions in the church at Philippi. Paul knew something that not all Christian workers know. He knew there was a difference between unity and uniformity. Unity, what we seek for, is a condition of the heart. It's inward. It's something when we're right with God happens, unity. Uniformity is when there are outward pressures on people to cause them to conform. And it really doesn't change a person from the inside out. Warren Wiersbe says, the secret of joy, in spite of these circumstances, is the single mind. Listen to what Paul speaks from his heart. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Here Paul begins with four statements, each beginning with the word, if. He assumes each of these to be true, so we could translate it, since these things are true. The first thing he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. This first encouragement, being united with Christ, is the first one. It's very important. It's the foundation. We could talk all day about all that we have in Christ. We could bring Duke up and he could share the 40 things that are true of us and every believer based on Scripture the moment we trust Christ. 40 grace gifts from God. These are tremendously encouraging. Things like you're born again, literally born from above with a new heavenly father who gives us new life, eternal life, which never ends. And that we are forgiven not just some, but all sin. And not just until we sin again. We are adopted by God. Jesus is our big brother, and he is our savior. And we are sealed with God's Holy Spirit. We are indwelt with him as well, which shows the deep, deep relationship we have with him. The next one is if there is any comfort in his love. 
any comfort in his love. Friends, if you want to get close to Christ, get into the Bible and pay special attention to the love of God. His love is not mere sentiment. His love is love in action for you. He has reached out to us. Before we came to Christ, he wooed us. Once we believe, he will never stop loving us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The world wants love, but many do not know what love is. They don't recognize the love of God for us, and they are missing out. If you're growing in Christ, you have begun to learn about the true love which comes from God. You know, the world, it looks elsewhere. Boys chase girls. There's a story of a young boy who took his young date out for a first date, and he drives to a woodsy place, and he parks. And he says to her, to this young girl, he says, you want to get in the back seat? And she says, no, I'd rather stay up here with you. <laughs> it's situations like that where people think they can discover love, but it often brings heartache. The world doesn't understand the love of God as we do, as the Bible reveals it to us. Then he says, if there's any common sharing in the Spirit. The word here for common sharing is the word fellowship. That is, things in common. Tom Constable believes that both fellowship with the Holy Spirit and fellowship with other believers is in view. That when we fellowship with one another, the Holy Spirit is in our midst, and he is animating and making alive our relationships. I think we saw that last week. How many people were here for the luncheon that we had last week? Wasn't that fabulous? <laughs> Didn't we have a great time? We almost couldn't get rid of you. <laughs> Not that we wanted to. Stuart. Brother, thank you so much for both providing the meat and also getting the ball rolling on that event. It's things like that that God draws us together in, where we can commune together in the midst of the Holy Spirit. Next he says, if there is any tenderness and compassion. Tender compassion. We think of the Apostle Paul as the deep theologian which he is. We think of the Apostle Paul as a passionate missionary, which he is. We think of Paul as the great church planter, which he is. But sometimes we forget that deep theology brings about great compassion. We see that in the Apostle Paul. His letter just shines forth a love and a compassion for these people. So what does it look like in our 21st century to have this loving compassion? How can we get there? I want to suggest something to you. 
see if this rings true. In order to have loving compassion, sometimes we need to slow down. Life can come at us in a blur. And if we're going 90 miles an hour in that blur, we're going to miss the needs that are all around us. Sometimes we have to choose to slow down. One of the wonderful people that I've had the privilege of knowing here in this church is James Hughes. James was one of the most loving individuals ever. And he would invite me out for breakfast. And we'd go out, and he would ask me, a usual question, how are you doing? And what do people usually answer to that? I'm fine. And I would do that. And then he'd say, He'd slow it down, and he'd say, how are you really? And that took our conversation to a whole nother level. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for him slowing it down so that we could relate on a deeper level. And that's what we're striving for. We want to be able to have compassion for other people. But sometimes we have to slow life down. Sometimes we have to say no to all the, some of the things, at least, that creep into our lives so we can have time for people. The good news is there is tender compassion in Christ. So Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. What would bring joy to Paul? It would be to see these people he knows, his friends, be able to be of one mind. That is what would bring him joy. The goal is to be like-minded, one mind. For those Trekkies out here, this is not the mind meld. The dictionary defines like-minded this way. It's an adjective having similar tastes or opinions. But the New Testament goes deeper. Like-minded is used an amazing 11 times in this short letter. Like-mindedness carries weight. To be like Christ, we need to be like-minded. This requires that we set aside our own agenda. You know, sometimes I find people being friendly with me, and I'm thinking back on a particular occasion when I worked in a grocery store. There was a brand new co-manager in the store, and he came to me, and we barely knew each other, and he said, hi, Mark, how are you? And then after that, he asked me a question. Mark, how many people do you know? You think he had an agenda? Yeah. He was doing a side business. He'd taken this on to bring in extra income. And in order to build up sales, he was trying to plumb people for their friendships. Sometimes this happens in the church. And if a person has a company and they know somebody in church that needs a job or somebody else that needs an extra side income, that's fine. 
but when they're just trying to plumb the relationship to make a buck. That's where I get concerned. Being like-minded, being of one mind, is easier if you don't attempt to judge others. I don't want to judge the people when they're doing things like that. By the way, you know, God is showing me something. Every time I start to judge others, forgive me, I guess we all do it to some degree, a little bit, right? Every time I start to judge somebody else, God peels back a layer of understanding for me. And he shows me how in some similar way, I also come up short. And after being a little disappointed myself, I'm really glad that God does that. It's good to be shown what you're like so you can grow. So we want to be of one mind, and that's easier if we don't judge. Christ gives us a little extra insight when he tells us, blessed are the meek. When we don't go around with this self-important attitude, and when we place others as more important than ourselves, then we're in a place where God wants us to be. Then we're in a place God can bless us. And I'd much rather be blessed of God than going around judging others, wouldn't you? Being like-minded has two traits. First, having the same love. Let me tell you a secret about the Christian life and about the body of Christ. The life that we live out, the service we render, is designed by God to be reciprocal. What does that mean? It's designed to go two ways, to go back and forth. We're commanded to pray for one another. And I've had several people over the years tell me, Mark, I pray for you every day. Wow. I I take them at face value, and that's humbling. But it also causes me to examine myself. How often do I pray for them? I need to pray more. This is to be reciprocal. We're to love each other, love one another. That means it goes both ways. I'll step out on a limb here. There have been people who have been a part of our church, and sometimes they had needs, sometimes very significant needs. And this church is a great church for helping its people. And we have helped many, and we helped some people that I'm thinking about. And then they left. You know, maybe they went to a church with a bigger audience or better preaching or different music or in some other way. They liked that church, and so they changed churches. They left here. And that's okay, right? They have the freedom to do that. Years pass, sometimes many years, and problems come into their lives. And I've had people come back here and tell me 
you guys haven't done enough for me. You guys haven't done enough for us. Now, what are they missing here? When they left, they weren't able to love on you guys. They weren't able to be involved in serving one another. That reciprocal part wasn't there. And that's what they were missing because God's design for our church is for this to be reciprocal. We get the most out of church when we do it God's way, which involves us getting involved and serving, us getting involved and loving others. The second thing is being one in spirit and of one mind. They were to be together as one in spirit of the same mind. Not that they are forced to, and not that there's a rigid external standard. There was a time a while back when Christians in some communities were all expected to dress alike. They all had the same haircut. They all listened to the same music. And sometimes it was to such an extent that individuality was snuffed out. And I got to tell you, that is not Paul's plan. He understands people are different. He was accepting of that. He said, you know, some of you are leaders. Others have the gift of helps and they get involved in service. It's okay to be different. You don't all have to be just alike. In fact, part of the beauty of the body of Christ is we are different. The unity that Paul longs to be formed in them is a unity of cause. Being united to serve each other in the ultimate cause for Jesus Christ. When someone is hurting, one person will stop and listen. Another person will attempt to meet the need. Somebody else will call them up and say, how are you doing now? Are things better? We all have different ways that we serve, but like a concert, each one of us being like a different instrument, we all come together to make a unified sound of love. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Imagine a man who selfishly seeks political office for his own advancement not caring a bit for those he represents. Imagine someone who has squabbles with another, who is jockeying for position and for power and place. Selfish ambition has no conception of service, only personal gain. The popular idea that we should serve ourselves first, that goes all the way back to the fall. And unsaved people in Paul's day did not view humility as a virtue any more than people today do. Paul was not advocating an unrealistic view of life. He was not saying that we should view everyone as better than ourselves in every way. His point was that we should view others as worthy of more consideration than we give ourselves. They should view others as more important 
and not to do anything out of selfish or em- selfishness or empty conceit. One writer named Hawthorne says this. He says, this is the linchpin that guarantees success of the Christian community. I want us to succeed, and I bet you do too. And success is based on God's standard, right? So Paul goes on, rather in humility, value others above yourself. So here is that pride versus humility contrast that pops up in Scripture so often. You know, the Greeks, the Romans, kings, people in a position of authority, they didn't want to be humble because that worked against what they wanted to achieve, popularity, fame, power. Humility was not a desired quality back then. And it's not very often a desired quality today either, is it? Humility is defined as being unselved. You know, we're the self. Humility is being unselved. A liberation from consciousness of self. A form of temperance that is neither having pride nor indulging in self-depreciation. It has been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. I like that. You don't need to feel like you have to put yourself down in order to be humble. Just don't think of yourself at all. Just engage the person. Put them as the priority. They'll be able to tell it. And what should they do? They're to value others above yourselves. What's the first thing they do out of humility? Value others. Years ago, I heard what the most common word was in phone conversations. Well, interesting to think of people listening in on phone conversations, but a study was done, and they did. Can you guess what the most common word is in phone conversations? The personal pronoun, I. Yeah. (laughs) We hear the other person, we listen to what they say, we wait for them to stop, maybe take a breath, and we say, I. (laughs) In contrast, humility leads us to say to the other person, tell me more. It leads us to ask probing questions. Now, not if the subject is extremely personal. We need to be sensitive for that. But good follow-up questions are wonderful in developing relationships and growing closer. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, many commentators feel from the nature of Paul's exhortation against selfishness that that was part of the problem in the church in Philippi. There were factions developing. 
J. Dwight Pentecost, a mentor of mine, explains that the word selfishness has to do with party spirit. It has to do with factions in the church that want to promote its aims and ambitions as opposed to another group. When the assembly is divided into different groups following different men, there will be a party spirit. And the first party is compelling or is competing with the second party for power and prominence. The apostle says his joy would be for them to put that aside, to be single-minded, to have one mind, to be together as a group and not be divided. That's his desire for them and God's desire for us today as well. Christian humility and mutual care are based on two things. First, the divine side. The idea that God is the creator and we are his creation. And as the creation, anytime we understand our relationship to a divine, holy, powerful God, it brings us into a proper understanding. And it brings us to be humble. And the second thing is, realization that everybody else is created by God and that we in the church are all sons of God and as sons and daughters of God when we look at that person we see royalty regardless of who they are if we can have this kind of mindset it will be easy to have humility and to build up the body of Christ the way God wants it In verse 5, he says, in your relationships with one another. I want you to stop just a minute. Look around and see people here. These are relationships you have. These are people, even if you don't know each other, we have some people that are relatively new. Regardless, we are in the body of Christ. We have a relationship with each other. God is our Father, and Jesus Christ is like our big brother. We have this wonderful relationship. And it's diverse. This church, this body of Christ is world over, as we saw as Richard shared. We have brothers and sisters in Myanmar and Nepal and other places. It's fantastic. In fact, Christianity, more than any other religion, is global. It's really the only one that is. Many are regional, you know, uh, Hinduism is primarily in Asia. You don't see a lot of it in other parts of the world. But Christianity has spread. And after all, God said, go, <laughs> make disciples. And it has happened so that there are people in virtually every country who worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That's only true of Christianity. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Finally, he brings up an illustration. And he says, you want to see the things that I'm talking about? You want to see single-mindedness? You want to see humility? Look at Jesus Christ. Our Savior is all those things. He is the great illustrator of what Paul is trying to drive home. 
Well, now we come to the application. And what I decided to speak on is that we can be different, but still be like-minded. Starting early in my ministry, God began to have me cross paths with a very diverse group of people, a lot of different people from different cultures, from different backgrounds, even from different nations. I got to know people from other countries, starting at Bible College in Florida. One missionary was from Japan, um, and he was in Japan, and he was sending a lot of young students from Japan. It was wonderful to get to know them. One in particular stands out, Yutaka Ikeda. He is still doing a great work today among the Japanese people. Another one, nicknamed Tak, I think that was because we couldn't really pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> Tak came over to uh, the United States from Japan and he spoke virtually no English when he arrived. Graduated four years later at the top of the senior class. <laughs> Amazing people. We had students from Bermuda, from the Bahamas, from Norway, from Scotland, from Sweden. Two brothers, Boo Liliestrand and Mats Tunahag from Norway and Sweden, uh, they came over and uh, one of them was particularly gifted at working with his hands on cars and things. So he got an old clunker and he fixed it up. And the two of them set out to see America during the summer break. And so they drove up the East Coast. They drove across the Canadian border. They came down through the West Coast. And then finally, coming back towards Florida, they stopped in at Texas. And they gave me a call. And they said, hey, Mark, we keep hearing about stakes in Texas. Let's go out. <laughs> so we did. It's been a wonderful opportunity to meet people in the body of Christ who have very different backgrounds. When I arrived at FEC, I got drafted. A black brother named Carl Hedden. Carl with a K. He invited me to join his team. And so we'd take a bus out and go into the projects in the suburbs of Miami. And we'd pick up kids and we would take them to a, a ball field and we would feed them and give them punch or drinks, and then we would teach them a Bible lesson on their own level, teach them Christian songs, and then finally drive them home. Wonderful opportunity, Sunday after Sunday. Love that, brother. Just doing a great work for God. Another friend, Case Bohr. Case is from Holland, and he's a gifted evangelist. Um, he learned this from his father and mother who came to faith through Billy Graham in Holland. And uh, they used to go on ships uh, in Holland. They'd go to the port. And so when Case came to Miami, guess what he did? He would walk on board ships. One time I walked on with him, and he was fearless. It didn't matter what kind of ship it was, Russian or Dutch or Portuguese. He'd, he'd talk to the sailors and kind of discern where they were from, and he'd pull out a tract in their language. And he knew what the track said. He would go through it, even though he didn't speak their language. Tremendous gifted evangelist. He did become an American citizen, but now he's in Bolivia. And he 
has led many kids to Christ. He led Nuria in this picture to Christ. I think he led her mother to Christ first. And um, she's now uh, a young woman, and she helps start small groups that are evangelistically minded. Through his ministry, I know him, this is not puffing. Over 5,000 people have come to faith in Christ. And what they do is they get people in these groups and they help them to memorize Bible verses and they have songs because music is very popular in Bolivia. They have songs that put scripture to music and they learn that. And then they say, hey, do you, do you have any, any friends or family members that need to hear about Christ? Let's make a list. Okay, do you think we could go see some of these people this week? And they do, and they lead them to Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But you know what? We were like-minded at Bible College. It was about getting the gospel out. FBC was founded by an evangelist. And if you know any evangelists, they're usually single-minded, maybe to a fault. But one thing they care about is helping people hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They want to get that message out to a lost and dying world that desperately needs to hear. And so that infused the various ministries at Florida Bible College. Some preached to kids in Bible clubs. Some preached Christ crucified in juvenile detention centers. Some preached Christ crucified and raised to life in jails and prisons. Some preached him at halftime events on the athletic field. We had a lot of music talent, all kinds. We had a men's quartet, very gifted group of guys called the Sound of Truth. We had bluegrass that went to county fairs. We had a group called Eternity, and Eternity uh, was a big group with brass and guitars and drums and everything, uh, about 16 people. So they had a bus, and they traveled all over the length and breadth of the United States in this bus. They got to go to Israel, not on the bus. <laughs> and while in Israel, they got to sing in Bethlehem on Christmas Eve on Israeli TV. God used them to get the gospel out. They recorded about 20 albums. We got the gospel out in clown ministry, through drama, and my ministry, gospel phones. Uh, people would hand out a little, little card with a kid's drawing on it and, and a phone number. And so they had one for kids and one for adults, and they would hand out these cards. And people would get it, and if they were interested, they would go home, and they'd call the number. And so one day, I'm sitting in the booth where we had the phones, and I get this call. And it's a girl, maybe about nine years old. And she'd heard the recording, and she'd gotten the recorded message and said, you can call and talk to a real person. So she did. She called me. I went through the gospel with her. She received Christ as her Savior. And I'm just, this is so exciting. 
And so I wrote down her address and we concluded the conversation and I'm thanking God. I'm just rejoicing because this is so exciting. By the way, if you've ever heard somebody say that the Christian life is boring, that's because they have not experienced the Christian life as Christ meant it to be. It's really exciting. So I'm writing some comments down so we can give this to the bus captain so they can pick her up. And the phone rings again. And it's another girl. And I go through the gospel. And guess what? She trusts Christ as her Savior. And I'm just so excited. This is amazing. And I get her address. She lives on the same street as the other girl. And so I said, well, do you know, do you know so-and-so? And she said, sure, she's right here. You want to talk to her? <laughs> when the first girl received Christ, what was the first thing she did? She told somebody else. She was involved in leading that person to Christ. I think this is the single-mindedness that God would like to see us have. It didn't matter what race we were. It didn't matter what part of the country you were from. It didn't matter what part of the world. We didn't fight over gender issues. Instead, we focused on one primary task, the task of getting the good news out to a world who's lost and needs to hear. Father God, I pray that you would do that in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would help us to put aside less important things and help us have a passion to communicate our Savior to a world who needs to hear about him. Father, help us to be single-minded. Help us to be of one heart and one mind, serving Christ for his glory. And all God's people said...